Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I speak Ebonics. And I just want to be alone with my baby tonight. Welcome to episode 251, In Your House 14, Revenge of the Taker. New Millennium of Darkness. Revenge of the Darkness, final part. Huh? So bad. I know. I mean, why isn't it just Revenge of the Taker? What do we need this new millennium of darkness, Revenge of the Darkness final part bullshit? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That last one almost feels like it's a Japanese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels like Friday the 13th, part four, the final part. <laughs> like, okay, all right. Why'd you have to tell us? Maybe we would just watch the movie and be like, oh, I guess it's over now. Because then you end up with part five. Mm, not so good. No. The new chapter was not good. I like six. Yes. Jason Lives was great. So this is the 14th <laughs> In Your House, produced by WWF. It would take place on April 20th, 1997, Woo-hoo! the Rochester Community War Memorial in Rochester, New York, with an attendance of 11,477 people. 420 bros. Good amount of people. Matt talked so fast, I wanted to say blaze it. Damn, that's what I should have got. Blaze. Blaze pizza. God, so good. <laughs> Is it good? I don't know. I've never been there. But we are in Rochester, New York. Yeah, we are. Absolutely. So Shane, did you do what you do? Well, I kind of did. Yes, we are in Rochester, New York. Here on 420. And what does everybody love on 420? Pizza? Well, yeah. I would have brought weed, but... I didn't figure anybody would partake with me. So. Yeah, I mean, you can, but so, I'm, I'm, I not, I'm not a weedman. What better than just spring munchies? And New York is known for their wide variety of foods, one of them being a New York-style pizza. And holy daddos, we found a New York-style pizza in Oklahoma City. I've never actually had an authentic slice from New York, so I don't know if this compares to it, but... Of the quote-unquote New York-style pizzas that I've seen in Oklahoma City and tried, this one, I think, is up there at the the top of the list as far as all-around quality, flavor, the insane amount of pepperonis that are on top of them. And we're not just talking plain old pepperonis like gas station pizza. These are those little cups that curl up when you bake it, and it's, like, seriously loaded. Completely loaded. Yes, a couple times that I've been in New York and I've had pizza, the really the biggest difference is that the pizza there is greasier. Greasier? Greasier than this, you think? Yeah. Really? Huh? I mean, like, um, I, mean, trying... I mean, it's literally coming out of the oven and they're eight, eight cuts and then yep. loading it up on plates for people that like it's, yeah. it's selling that quick. So like everything, it doesn't have time to sit and let the, you know. 
the juices soak the juices in. Juices soak in. I guess my thing is that my only criticism is that this is really salty. Is it? I thought so. I don't know. But not in a bad way. I just taste pepperoni. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just all that pepperoni and all that but extra oil. Definitely very good. Definitely better or more representative uh, based on my experiences than other. Yes. Like we serve a New York slice pizzas this, in Oklahoma. This is a, from a place called Dado's. D-A-D-O apostrophe S pizza. I guess they're from Harlem, New York. And they were established here in 2021. I'm trying to remember if this was the place that brought the little special water filtration That's machine. What I was just looking because I, was I like, think that was a different one you ordered from that I couldn't remember the name of. Is it? See, I can't remember if I ever ordered from them. I just remember there was talk about this new place that was coming to town that they made their pizzas were more authentic New York because of the water filtration system that they had, where it made their water like the water in New York. But I think that. The water thing. I don't know. I don't subscribe to it. I will not subscribe. To it. Uh, I've never had a New I'm York not, slice, yeah, so I'm, I can't. Yeah. I can't compare. I'm not gonna. I'm I've not only gonna, had Oklahoma versions of New York. Don't say it. So I'm gonna say it's not that place. Yeah, probably. Because I, I feel like you would plaster that all over yeah. the website. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is definitely a, a really great slice. I yeah. enjoyed it um, a whole bunch. Pretty, pretty simple. I mean, just meat, cheese, sauce, and crust. Yeah, nothing, no frills other than the fact that they just load the shit out of it with pepperoni, which is what I want on a pepperoni pizza. Also, a lot of places that do the big New York slice are typically not, don't end up being as like thin or floppy as the New York slice that I have, the ones that I've seen. And uh, this one absolutely nails it. Yes, this one, uh, you get to fold it. Thin and chewy and... uh, and like still has uh, plenty of bread considering how yeah and, and the, it, the flavor in the bread and everything is just evenly distributed on it you know the the sauce the cheese everything goes to just the right spot on the crust where you don't have that spot on the crust that has you know an extra inch of only bread with no toppings on it nothing is puffed up anywhere this is it's a perfect bake so yeah. No, they did a great job. I'm I'm curious to try other flavors that they have there. I went mm-hmm. with just the standard pepperoni, but I mean, there yeah. was you know meat lovers and chicken and bacon. I think I saw on the website pepperoni or cheese pizza. is the way you gotta go if you're trying it. Something with sausage. They had a veggie sausage one, a cheese pizza. one, and they refer to them as pies and not pizzas, which yeah, just makes yeah. it that much more. Authentic. You guys ever uh, had Andalini's in Tulsa? Yes, that's good shit. I've had Andalini's and... It's a little thicker and it's different. Salasano's. I think think it's owned by... Maybe it's Salasano's or maybe it's Andalini's. One of them's owned by a guy that is a New York guy. But I've had Andalini's and it's really good. But this uh, Dado's is uh, pretty great. So I need to try the Chicago style from... Or the deep dish. I think that's what it... Andalini's. Do they have a deep dish? They do like an authentic deep 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 dish where you know it takes an hour for it to bake yeah, so yeah. people get pissy because they order a, a pizza thinking that it should be ready in 15 minutes forgetting that no it's like a lasagna it's a casserole inside of a crust there was one um, spot in edmond that only chicago style pizza but they had really weird hours and it's been closed for a long time they changed names they changed names mm-hmm. it's still around i believe so 
Because it was the Chicago police, uh, like, mob. Not mob pizza, but I know what pizza you're talking about. It was on Broadway next to the old yeah. CD warehouse on Broadway. Yeah. Fun. If you're ever in Oklahoma City, give old Dado's Pizza a try. You can look them up on, you know, online. Dado'spizzaokc.com. Yeah, I'm not mad about it at all. Uh-uh. Very it's good. Uh, a big ass pizza box for a big ass pizza. Absolutely. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as in your house. I know this is a, one of Shane's personal favorites. Yep. I mean, it's pretty great. Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion would come to theaters <sighs> the next week. I was there. I mean, it's uh, very good, incredibly funny. Uh, it's tongue in cheek, it's self aware. I mean, you're riding the, the wave of success from Friends. Lisa Kudrow gets her first real big breakout role outside of the show. Mira Sorvino. This is a movie that she did leading up to her Oscar nomination for Mighty Aphrodite. Yeah, it's just a an all-star fun cast. you got Janine Garofalo in there. You've got... My brain just went empty on his name. Justin... Uh, he had a relationship years later with Jennifer Aniston Thoreau. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You've got the host of Traders. Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming. Yeah. It's two amazing, funny women going back to their uh, high school reunion, wanting to impress everybody. You know, they've got, it's a, a very quotable movie because this was around the time that cell phones were first becoming big. So if you need to make a phone, you know, if you need to make a phone call, I've got a cell phone. Uh, I invented post-its. Um, oh wow yeah it's such a it's so funny and then Ramon Ramon oh god Ramon well the way they play off each other too it's like well one is like more of the like stereotypical airhead and one is more of the like valley girl the Venn diagram of their personalities crosses over but in such a small way when it could have just been a complete circle where it's the same person talking to each other. And I think that outside of it being well-written, like the performances being different, but you completely understand why they're friends and that they are broken people, but you don't feel bad for them. They only feel bad for themselves. It's yeah. incredibly... Uh, yeah, they were the the girls that were picked on in high school, and you know, outside of the the cool clique, who grow up to be cool in their own skin, in their own style, in their own words, and yeah, it's it's great. And they grow up to just be total knockouts. This is kind of the the best. I mean, like the I don't know. It's like a higher quality version of an SNL movie and there's yeah. plenty of SNL movies that I love. I love plenty of ones that are bad. But this one feels like it's like oh, it has heart. I love It's Pat. It's Pat doesn't necessarily have heart. I love Wayne's World. Wayne's World is a funnier movie. Yeah. But it doesn't his family. but it doesn't quite have the heart. <laughs> I like uh, Night of the Roxbury a lot too. There's no heart there, but Romeo and Michelle it's funny and has heart. Oh, yeah. It's overflowing. It's, yeah. It's kind of a mix between Clueless and an SNL movie. Speaking of being real well-written, 
actually, like, literally, as you were saying that, I was looking up the writer to see what else that person had written. Okay, yeah. I've done a bunch of TV. Curious. But her first major writing credit was a movie called Loverboy. Do you guys remember this movie? No. It was Patrick Dempsey okay. playing a, he was a pizza boy yep. that ends up being, basically becoming a gigolo. Kind of goes from being a nerd to being the most popular kid in school, and now he goes from being a pizza boy to a gigolo. It is one of those movies that, like, is it's pure 80s. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about it. But it is really good. Yeah. It's funny? Yeah. Okay, I've never, never heard of it. That's what's great about Romy and Michelle is it's pure 90s, but then they jump back into the 80s, and it's pure 80s while they're in the 80s. You know... Um, the soundtrack is incredible. You know how every... Um, I'm so mad that it's not available on streaming. Oh, I is just, it not? I just looked it up. Yeah, you they know... Be, they're, they're supposedly making a sequel, so... You know every... Whether it's current and it takes place in the 80s, or if it actually took place in the 80s, every middle school or high school dance always does the thing where they play that... What's the song? Are they gonna drop the bomb or not? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And it's like, Romeo and Michelle's doesn't do that... But it is the best example of the vibe that like shoehorning that song in, uh, like pulls off, and like with more well realized characters. Very good movie, incredibly, uh, incredibly good, and re- and like bizarrely relatable mm-hmm. for somebody who is uh, it, not a female and uh, doesn't. Um, what is the word? I don't know. Not a female. And, uh, yeah, and, and doesn't identify as one. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. But for some reason, Romeo and Michelle, I think, it, I think it can hit anybody. Yeah, some of us were, some of us were the Romeo or the Michelle. Some of us were the Sandy Frank. Some of us were the, the hell is her name? Last name Masters. I just watched this movie not too long ago, too, so it should be more in the forefront of my brain. I'm sure you've seen it more than I have. I've probably seen it two, three times. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's... Who was the... What was the name of the writer, Matt? Was that, like, his other big thing? Robin Schiff. Mm -hmm. I think it's a a young lady. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah. But those were her two big films, or at least one that I've never heard of, but you guys both uh, vouched for. Christy Masters Christensen. That was her name. Oh, nice. I mean, like I said, she's mostly did TV. Other than that, like her latest uh, thing was Emily in Paris that was on Netflix. Yeah, the one that. Oh, that was the one with the old some lady. Some people really liked, and other most people uh, really hated. Yeah, I, that, that was the one with the old lady, right? No, it was. Um, what was the one with the old lady? It was a great a, British baking. No, show. it was a it was know. a movie. <laughs> no, uh, Emily in Paris was uh, Lily Collins moving to the. Uh, she was from the Midwest. She. Went to work for a marketing firm okay. in Paris. I'm thinking Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Oh, okay. Uh, which I heard was pretty charming and nice. Probably so. I never but, watched uh, it. I didn't watch it because I was like, well, I'll, maybe I'll watch this with my mom. Because I've heard it was pretty good. And um, if I tell my mom a movie's good, she'll sit down <laughs> and watch it with me. That's Manville. Uh, okay. But, yeah. That's a period piece, too. Yeah. Romeo and Michelle. Set in the 50s. Pretty great. Yeah. Can't go wrong if you've never seen it. Apparently, it's not available on streaming. Also, Lisa Kudrow. Not even for purchase? Is it not? I thought that's what you said. No. 
the soundtrack wasn't on stream. Oh, uh, gotcha. Uh, Lisa Kudrow, best actor slash actress that was on Friends. No. 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 I'm, no? I'm a Matt Perry guy. Yeah. He he had more movie success. But I think that I mean she's my favorite character. As I far mean, as the most movie success, as far as, as like Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying like best. Well, I mean technically, I guess Courtney Cox probably is the most successful. Yeah, she's yeah. in like every screen movie. She's in screen. But I'm saying like uh, best like in my opinion, the most successful on screen whenever they show up on screen is uh, Lisa Kudrow. In my opinion, but I haven't seen as can much you as you guys something have. other than Romeo Michelle and Friends? You know? Yeah. Probably can't. Matt, I mean, not Matt, Shane can. I mean, I know Shane can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm because, also not, I'm not, that, a, I'm not as big of a Friends guy that's as you the guys thing, is that The like... opposite of sex is probably my favorite role of hers. Okay, cool. Because she plays that same little quirky yeah. character she does, but then she's more... I know of, I've seen her in other more stuff, More of a bitch in that even. one because her name is... She's got Trisha and Marsha sisters. Her name is Lucia, and her name is spelled differently. And she's in love with her gay best friend, and has Lyle Lovett that she's being a bitch to because he stepped out on his wife who was dying from cancer. Oh, that's and tough yeah, she's. So I've heard the comeback's really good. I watched that I've one not that too good. long ago. That one, it was. It took a little bit to to grow on me because. Uh, she it was like she was playing too much of a character and it just felt like it was too far of a stretch but then All it I'm finally got good I'm pro pro Kudro and like I mean don't get me wrong I yeah. like Kudro yeah. I'm just and saying that there's like, a reason that she's the first one on the cast to win an Emmy you don't ever think of no. Kudro in in movies no you don't and when you get her she's that character actress oh that, she's in Hard not Hard 8 she's in a really bad movie but she does great. She in, was in the. She was uh, in uh, analyze this and analyze that as yeah. the wife. Yeah, and she's in a bizarre, un, like Travolta movie, uh, Lucky, Lucky, no, numbers. Lucky Numbers. Yeah, Lucky Numbers, not a great movie, but she's pretty. She's incredible in that. I was like trying to think. I was like, I've seen her in other stuff, but what is it? And it's like she's really great in a bad movie, because. Lucky Numbers is by no means a good film, what, but she's really great. What did in you it. say of sex? The opposite of sex. The opposite. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have Christina seen that movie. Ricci. Yeah, Christina yeah. Ricci. That's right. And Sor- I, Sorvino was like. See, a, I never think of her yeah. in that movie either. But yeah. Sorvino was kind of like an upcoming like it girl, but I think that she, you know, she had, got Weinstein. Yeah. She yeah, she was the it girl that was popping up in all these things. She did some Woody Allen movies. She won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for Mighty Aphrodite. And then it was like her wings were just fully clipped. Yeah, she was kind of the... Uh... And she made appearances on like Will and Grace and you know TV yeah. stuff, but didn't oh, really have yeah. a big movie career from then. Damn, I'm trying to think of the it girl right before her. Like, Silverstone? Not no. Silverstone. <laughs> Silverstone was uh, cucked by Batman. Yeah, I mean... Uh, fuck. I can't remember... The... If you can name, like, a movie or a show that she was in, I might be able to help, but... I can't think of the lady, but she was another one of those, like, hot, young, like, attractive, young actresses that was uh, popping off in uh, the 90s, and I can't think of her name, but it's okay. We can't We can't do this all day. Anna Paquin? No. I fucking hate Anna Paquin. 
Why? I, we can't get into it. We don't have time for that. Is it because you watched True Blood? Or I almost said True Blood. Yeah, True Blood. No, I and watched you got Blood. annoyed at the fact that she couldn't say Bill. She'd say Bell. No, I just... Bell. Yeah. It's just some people where you're like, ah, not that person. Well, let's talk some in here. Come on, let's, let's do, it. do it. WMF logo before a video package with Freddie Blasey narration. Mankind, we see mankind throwing fire in the Undertaker's face as narration speaks of demons rising to vanquish the Almighty and the wicked reveal in their misdeeds. But they will gaze upon the face of vengeance and know their fate is sealed. Quote the Raven, nevermore. We get the tile screen before some pyro and Vince McMahon welcoming everyone to the show. Joined by Jerry the King Lawler. And Jim Ross. And we go straight to our first match. Say the words, Matt. I don't even want to say it. Well. (laughs) As LOD, come out for the first match. Legion of Doom of Road Warrior Hawk and Road Warrior Animal versus Owen Hart and the British Bulldog for the WWF World. Tag Team Championships. And of course there's a huge pop for LOD. Come on. So we get a recap video of LOD being slopped by the Godwins. Uh, ten time we've seen it this week. Funniest thing I've seen in a long time. As the champs moved out of the way, followed by the Road Warriors having their match being interfered by the champs as well. So Legion of Doom controls early on with shoulder blocks, clotheslines, and right hands. Until Davy Boy responds with a clothesline and a stalling suplex on Hawk. Owen comes in and tries to lock the sharpshooter on, only for the Road Warrior to knock Hart off and nail a clothesline. Animal with a power slam, and he begins to wear down Owen with a chin lock as we go to split screen to see Steve Austin arriving to the arena. I mean, we're split screening on pay per views, but it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. And we hear Pat Patterson asking why he's so late, only be told to get lost. <laughs> and Hart escapes the chin lock, only to run right back into a press slam and a hawk top rope splash. But Owen reverses a whip and charges in, where the Road Warrior bounces backwards out of the corner for them to knock noggins. Now back to their feet, Hart delivers an insiguri before bringing in Bulldog to stomp away on the lower back of Hawk. And Owen returns and applies a sleeper. Only for the Road Warrior to escape and run the ropes. But Davy Boy gets a boot to the back to slow the momentum. And you know what? I couldn't be more happy that Lawler and King are back. And you know who's not at the uh, announce table? Honky. Yup. You honk, you gotta go. (laughs) The champs look to double-team Hawk. But the Road Warrior again rallies. Shoving Bulldog and Hart into each other. Knocking Owen out of the ring. He really did too because that was a big ass hit. I yeah. remember Owen flying. LOD then hits a double clothesline to Davy Boy followed by lifting him onto animal shoulders on the turnbuckle for a super power slam Ooh. for the pin huh? and, and the, the win. win. And But Record scratch. Another ref oh, Mike Chioda runs down to say that Bulldog wasn't the legal man. So the match is restarted, but the champs don't want to continue. They just want their belt so they can leave. But Jack Doan, 
the original ref, orders them to return, or he would give the titles to Legion of Doom. It's a little sweaty. Yeah. So the champs run back to the ring, and everybody's brawling away until Hart tosses Hawk out of the ring, while Animal kicks away a telegraphed back body drop from Davy Boy. But Owen then takes control with a wheel kick. And the champs work double-team choking in their corner, followed by Hart delivering a neck breaker and a leg drop. Animal hits a sunset flip on Bulldog, but the ref is distracted trying to get Owen out of the ring. So he only gets a two-count. And Hart goes for a flying headbutt, but the Road Warrior is able to move out of the way to make the crawl to the corner for the hot tag. Hawk with clotheslines and big boots... He runs through a double clothesline and nails one of his own before kicking Davy Boy out of the ring. He follows out to toss him into the still steps while Animal is clotheslining Owen inside the ring. LOD then lifts Hart atop Animal's shoulders <laughs> for them to hit the doomsday device on Owen, making the cover when Bret Hart would run out to break it up, <sighs> causing... A disqualification. That dirty son bitch. So cool. We got a dusty finish to then have a disqualification. Is this, is this the dustiest finish we've seen on a WWE pay per view in a while? In a while. I will say LOD looked great. This yes. is the best we've seen the Road Warriors look in a long time. And I mean, it helps when you have two guys that are going to sell for you. Like, Owen Hart and yeah, yeah. I will say also that even Brett during his interference, uh, I guess because he's playing that he, new old character yeah. again, he just had this little extra something about him that kind of made me smile. Yeah, and that's kind of the outside of the road, like this being good until it's too complicated. Uh, it puts a extra exclamation point or period on. Bret Hart healing it up. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, everybody, he, he played the hitman with the heart of gold for too long and, you know, was everybody's favorite good guy. But I think people forgot and were quickly reminded that before he was that guy, he was the, you know, shithead hitman that was in there smashing people's trophies after their battle royals and, you know, lying, stealing, cheating, working with Jimmy Hart. So we go to the back where Doc Hendricks catches up with the tag champs, calling them lucky. But Owen disagrees, saying that they are the best tag team that is, was, and ever will be. Beating Legion of Doom like they beat everybody. Doc then tells them Austin has arrived during their bout, and they don't believe it. Saying, you better make sure there's a lot of bald guys walking around. And Bulldog says they will beat Stone Cold, just like they did the Road Warriors. Hendricks then sends it to Sonny and Brian Pillman, who are flirting in the Superstar line room. And I was like, damn, I forgot about Pillman. It's been <laughs> a while. Yeah, it has. And here he is with Sonny. He's like, this, I don't know how long it's been, but it feels like it's been a year since we've seen Pillman. It was earlier in the year. I know, but it seems so far away. Yep. So Brian tells McMahon to eat his heart out. That while he's calling suplexes, 
they're finding out all the dirt, saying they have ways of making them talk. And Sonny tells everyone from the United States, Canada, and even the United Kingdom to call. But make sure you get your parents' permission. And then JR says he needs a cigarette after watching these two. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're flirting real hard, both uh, attractive people. But uh, Sonny's a little extra saucy here. So we go to our second match. Savio Vega with the Nation of Domination. Versus Rocky Baivia for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. And we see highlights from Raw where Vega pulled the tights to secure a victory over Rocky. Followed by the nation beating Maivia down. And we go to the back and Kevin Kelly's there with Rocky asking if he feels uneasy facing the nation. Maivia saying the past is the past. Tonight's what counts. Lady Luck's been on his side... And if he loses his title, then so be it. But Savio is in for the fight of his life. So this match gets going, with Rocky catching Vega with right hands and arm drags, when Farouk would walk out with his arm in a sling to join commentary. But his headset doesn't work, so Ross gives his up, which the militant spins as a conspiracy against him and the nation. <laughs> and Savio responds with wheel kicks... And applies a nerve hole. Yeah. As Vince talks about the challenge that Farouk has put out to Ahmed. And Rocky rallies with crossbodies and roll-ups for two counts. Only for Vega to keep returning to the nerve hole. I mean, Rocky, is, he sells the shoulder. Hey, he's got some traps. Mm-hmm. Savio tries for a suplex. Only for Maivia to reverse it into a bridging fisherman suplex but only a two-count as the nation is distracting the ref. Vega continues with a roundhouse kick, chops, and a hip toss, only for Rocky to duck a clothesline and nail a float-over DDT for a near fall. He follows it up with a whip into a corner, but Savio leaps up and over a charging Maivia to roll him up for the pin. And no! Rocky kicks out, sending Vega shoulder-first. Into the ring post. Posted. One hell of a kick out. Farouk is very great here on commentary. To the point where... It Did it pulls make you want to say damn? It pulls away from the match. Because, like, he's more compelling. You don't think... Nobody thinks that Savio Vega is going to beat Rocky Maivia here. At least I didn't. And uh, Farouk was incredibly entertaining. Talking about his... Way too long feud with Ahmed Johnson, but he's very compelling in the way he goes about it. So Savio is able to recover to reverse a whip, but charges in again with Maivia moving, causing Vega to again hit shoulder first on a turnbuckle. And Rocky takes advantage with a back suplex, a belly-to-belly suplex, and a uranagi. It's not quite a rock bottom yet. Ah, but it sure looks like one. Maivia is then tossed out of the ring by Savio, where he lands right on Crush, <laughs> which pisses off the big man. So he nails the heart punch to Rocky, leading to a countout. A countout? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Post-match, Vega <laughs> is yelling at Crush for costing him a chance at the belt. So Farouk has to leave the announce table to play Peacemaker, instructing them to turn their attention to Maivia. 
and the militant whips him with the belt when Ahmed Johnson would arrive with a two-by-four to clear the ring. And Ahmed takes a Uh-oh. mic and he accepts the nation's challenge, saying he must beat the illegal immigrant, the convict, and Farouk's black ass, <laughs> promising to face them all in one night and all at once if they want it. Which is kind of funny because uh, I guess I we just assume Ahmed Johnson was watching the feed in the back because this is what Farouk was talking about on the microphone. So basically, Ahmed was supposed to be in a gauntlet match with the nation on this show, but Farouk hurt his shoulder during the match at WrestleMania. Yeah, the brawl. The brawl. And so we'll get that match on the... Next pay-per-view. Okay. Fingers crossed. Nobody gets Check injured. Check that, and this is just a way to like keep it moving. And Rocky's opponent for this show, we'll talk about why he's not here oh. a little bit later as well. Okay. We then see Ken Shamrock chatting online in the AOL room. He's grinning about something when McMahon claims Ken will challenge Mike Tyson on Raw. I know. I was like, What? And huh? I'm like, I don't, know, I don't think that ever happens because Mike no. Tyson doesn't show up until ninety-eight. Way later in the year. Yeah, way later next year. I mean, it's before WrestleMania next year, but yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you ruined it. You ruined it. So we then go to Doc Hendricks with Sable and Mark Marrow outside of a bathroom, where he congratulates Sable on her Miss Slammy Award. She's a one-time Slammy Award winner. Hey, hey, hey. Only one, though. Who'd she slam? All the other women. Because she's Miss Slammy. She thanks him and says 1997 will be their year. Before Doc turns his attention to Mark, asking about the prognosis on his knee. Which he responds that it's fine, and he'll be back for a wild summer. Hendrix then asks if Marrow feels bittersweet that he isn't competing tonight in the same building that he won his golden gloves in. And Mark starts to answer when we see Austin enter the bathroom behind them, followed by yelling and clattering noises, which just confuses everyone. Officials run into the bathroom, only for them, the tag champs, to emerge, followed by Dave Hevner coming out to say that they attack Stone Cold and they need help. I mean, the thing here is that Owen and Davy Boy like walk out of the bathroom with long, like crunched up cartoon poles of metal, and they look at the camera they look like they straight got straight at the uh, camera, straight at the oh, camera. Shit, yeah, like caught. that's the comedic shit that I was talking about, where it's like, oh yeah, and they're yeah, and then they just attempt to play it off and walk off, and it is very, very funny. Yes. Back in the arena, Jesse James sings his way to the ring. Ooh, you get it, Shane. I already got it. Okay. <laughs> Even as JR continues to talk about the Austin situation, we then get sent to a recap of the storyline where Honky Talk Man had chosen Jesse to be his protege, only for James to spurn him and destroy his heirloom guitar in the process. Heirloom. Honky then comes out to announce the man he has chosen, promising his fans and friends someone. That would break Jesse's neck. Mm-hmm. And Honky Tonk Man would then announce the artist formerly known as Billy Gunn as Rockabilly, 
who dances his way down to the ring. Uh, poorly in a bedazzled jacket. Oh, Billy. <laughs> and the commentators don't understand this at all. Because literally a couple weeks ago, which we watched yeah. on episode 249. Billy yeah. Gunn decked him. That's right. It's all a swerve. Like, they even show us a highlight of this. Yeah. So it's like, what's what, going what on? What changed where Billy Gunn would... So, Disco Inferno was supposed to be this character. Seriously? Wait, what? And he <laughs> re-signed with WCW. Uh, More money, less work? I guess. Uh, we all missed out on... I wonder what his name would have been. Disco stayed, Billy? Might have stayed Rocco... Rockabilly for all we know. It probably would have said Rockabilly. Or I don't, I don't know. know. He's he's disco. He's not rock. I mean his name is Billy. <laughs> so Rockabilly works. But Disco Inferno, Rockabilly is a type of music that was uh, knows what he- they heavily about. influenced by, you know, Elvis. <laughs> Ross goes and asks Honky for an explanation. And he claims that the aggression impressed him. And he's persistent. Wearing down the resistance and making him an offer he couldn't refuse. Yeah. Sold up some of those uh, jumpsuits. I got rhinestone money. So we get our third match. Jesse James versus Rockabilly with the Honky Tonk Man. And Billy is caught with arm drags, hip tosses, a drop kick, and a clothesline that sends him over the ropes. Followed by James flying off the apron. With another clothesline. Now back in the ring, Rockabilly rakes the eyes to change the momentum before hitting a jumping rocker dropper. Because it's not yet quite a famouser. No, but I mean, it looks like the famouser. Followed by nailing a neck breaker and a back elbow. And Billy goes for a splash in a corner, only for Jesse to move and fire up with punches, clotheslines, and a little bit of dancing of his own. James continues with mounted punches in a corner and more clotheslines, followed by running the ropes, where Rockabilly just shoves Jesse out to the floor. Now back in the ring, Billy looks to deliver a tornado DDT, only for Jesse to cradle him up for the pin and the win. Post-match, Honky sneaks up behind James with his guitar, but he senses him and moves, causing the guitar to hit the turnbuckle. Oh, no. So they don't even get a guitar break. I know. So I'm pretty sure that this match was not supposed to be on this pay-per-view. If the Ahmed Nation match had happened. Yeah. And the other match that we'll talk about later. Yeah. The Rocky match. But Disco Inferno, no way they were going to put him on a pay-per-view. No. So we go to the back. Doc Hendricks is there shilling some merch. Showing off that Undertaker door banner again. Mm, that wall scroll. We then go to Kevin Kelly in the locker room with Austin and Gorilla Monsoon. And he's asking Stone Cold if he's in any shape to wrestle. With Austin replying that it ain't keeping him from the ring. Brett would have to kill him before he'll leave him alone. And Kevin says that Stone Cold has refused medical attention. Only for Stone Cold to say it's because he doesn't need it. But the hitman will. Austin continues that Hart can bring his whole damn family, including his fat father, Stu. <laughs> it won't matter because none of them can whip his ass. And Kelly asks Gorilla his thoughts, saying he will buy Stone Cold some time, rearranging the card 
and making their match the main event. I mean... That was pretty nice of Monsoon. I mean, how much sense does it make? All the sense in the world. And also, Austin, just a sweaty mess with a towel over his shoulder. Doesn't look into the camera, keeps his head down, but like still is like fighting through it, but like not selling it vocally, only selling it visually. It's good stuff. We then go to Lance Wright in the locker room with the Heart Foundation. You mean uh, the taller clone of Brandon Walsh? <laughs> yeah, he's We've got actually seen this guy before okay. as a merch hide guy on ECW Hardcore TV back in episode 186. Jesus. I do not remember him. We literally saw him one time. And I had no clue who he was. Yeah, and same here. But now I have a name for him. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a yeah, he looks like a background actor for nine hundred two and And Lance asks the Hart Foundation why they attacked Austin, with Bulldog responding that he started it. They were celebrating their victory when Stone Cold attacked them, and Owen echoes these sentiments, not appreciating the words about his father, before Brett says. You know what the bottom line is? Who's crying now? Followed by a smirk, and the trio walks out. Beautiful. I mean, Brett. Thing is, is like Brett's never been a bad talker, but less is always more with him, and uh, he nailed it with that smirk. Vincent sends us to a video recap about the Undertaker-Mankind feud that has some backward-talking animal noises and frantic edits of different highlights from their past matchups before going to footage of Foley throwing fire into the dead man's face. And the package is very, like, VHS horror footage. It looks like somebody used a home camera to tape a VHS tape off of their television (laughs) and manipulated it. It's a nice vibe. We see the dead man flailing about in pain as JR says he smells burnt flesh. While Todd Pettengale narration says blind ambition will be redefined in the vision of Armageddon. I don't know what that means, but they're no nice clue. they're nice words next they're, to each other. Like you look at the sentence and you go, Well, that's a like an intimidating sentence. Mm-hmm. And it sounds good. No clue what it means. Yeah, vision of Armageddon sounds like a band I wouldn't go see, or a band I would see, and that's one of their best songs. It's Vision of Armageddon would be the song title. We then come back to Doc Hendricks, who's in the back with Mankind and Paul Bearer, where Paul is holding his nose because he still smells burning flesh, while Foley claims it will be the greatest night of his life as Taker screams will be music to his ear. I mean, come on. Greatness. Music to my ear. That one, that's, yeah. That's for the uh, dirt sheet boys. So we go to our fourth match. Mankind with Paul Bear versus The Undertaker for the WWF Championship. Revenge of the Taker. And Foley brings a fire extinguisher to the ring with him while the dead man arrives with a bandage on his face to cover the burns. I know Foley with the fire extinguisher. He's cradling it like a baby. It's so funny. 
and Mankind jumps Taker as he enters the ring for the two men to brawl in and out of the ring, even over into the crowd, with Undertaker ramming Foley's head into the railing several times, before returning to the ring where the dead man attempts old school. But Mankind escapes the grasp, so Taker springboards off with a clothesline. The Undertaker picks up Foley for a slam when Bearer would get on the apron, sending the dead man after him, allowing Mankind to grab the urn and smash it over the head of Taker for a two-count. I love this. Uh, towards the beginning of the match, JR asks uh, Vince Kennedy McMahon uh, if he ever thought of Mankind as the poster boy of the WWF and uh, asks what a Mankind swimsuit calendar might look like. Which is sounds more like a Lawler line than a JR line, but <laughs> that's why it was extra funny to me. Undertaker takes a running knee in the corner and chokes, but fires back with right hands, only to telegraph a back body drop allowing Mankind to nail a swinging neckbreaker for a near fall, followed by a nerve hold. Doubling up. The nerve of this man. The dead man escapes and knocks Foley out to the floor, where he drags Taker outside, trying to slam him face first into the still steps, only for the Undertaker to block and reverse. Mankind then grabs a glass pitcher of water from the French announcers, breaking it over the head of the dead man before grabbing a chair to smash over his head as well. Followed by a second rope elbow drop down on the concrete. Splat. I mean, that uh, break of the glass, I was like, oh, Taker's got to be busted open. And he's not. But it fucking shatters. It looks great. He broke his hands before before he ever hit his head. Okay. I did rewind it, but I didn't quite, I mean, it was that sugar glass, guys. Back in the ring, Foley delivers a pair of pulling pile drivers, but Taker retaliates with right hands and a leaping clothesline. He goes for another in a corner when Mankind would pull the ref in front of him. Love to see it. Ref bump. The uh, the pulling pile driver, which I, in my mind, is the funk driver. Yep. It's like, that's the Terry Funk pile driver. So it makes extra sense. For him to do it, how often you see Undertaker pile drive, and these guys, we saw him fight a lot for a while, and I feel like there's been enough time and a big enough angle, but everything here seems more brutal. It seems more like the Taker is more animated and um, lay, is laying. Looks like he's laying in more. I mean, this is just a a nastier match. Foley locks on the mandible claw. Oh no! Taking the dead man down to the crowd when a second official would show up, only for mankind to dispatch him as well ah. with a mandible claw. Putting the claw on the ref is so funny. The bearer tosses a chair into the ring while Foley grabs the steel steps. But this allows Taker to recover and he hits a drop kick of mankind with the steps in front of his face. No. Undertaker then uses the chair across the head of Foley before tossing him into the ropes where he gets hung up until the dead man just rips the mask off the face of mankind. Yeah, he like tries to pull him up to choke him or whatever but he just only gets the mask and the ear tease and then he does the spot, pulls the mask off we haven't seen Mick 
without the mask here at all. And Foley, on the last Raw, offered a mask to take her. It's all fit uh, together. So did you have the Lucha moment where you had like a, a gasp when the mask came off? No, I know what the man looks like. I mean, I know what the man looks like too, but it was <laughs> yeah. just like that instant reaction. No, of, no, oh, no. Oh shit. No, yeah. Wait, it it's doesn't Candace matter. Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, we have. It was more the surprise of like, we haven't seen him without the mask yet. Because like, he, in WWF, his career without the mask is probably longer than his career with the mask on. Probably. Yeah. So as Foley makes his way up to the apron, Taker nails him with the steel steps. Sending mankind flying head first Oof. into the Spanish announce table. Hablame <laughs> Jesus, but literally that table had into. to be gimmicked, right? <laughs> it was gimmicked. Yeah, it was gimmicked for, for him to lay in that way. Yeah. You know, when in like a cartoon where it's snowing outside and somebody falls like face first into the snow with their legs out, like kicking. Yeah. That's what you're missing is those little sound effects. That... Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, this is what mankind did: is he went face first down, and and like it was covered with a sheet or whatever. But he just like went straight fucking down. Absolutely bananas. Mankind go down the hole. <laughs> the Undertaker then drags Foley back into the ring to deliver a choke slam and a tombstone for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post match. The dead man celebrates, but then he points at Paul and begins to chase him around the ring. When mankind would attempt to throw another fireball several times, several, but the flash paper doesn't light, and it feels like Undertaker was supposed to be fighting Bearer, and then like right as he throws the fireball, Bearer was supposed to be yeah, Bearer was supposed to be there to take the fireball on his face. Well, yeah, and that's what they're going for yeah. in this moment. And but, but it doesn't work. So Taker gets, gets basically fr- gets tired of waiting, frustrated, and he takes it away from Foley. And Paul begs off to the corner. So the Undertaker tries to throw fire into his face, and it still doesn't work. A couple times, he is spinning in circles, like trying to get the lighter to light, and he finally gets down into the corner and just like gets it to light and like yeah. <laughs> throws it down in his face. And Paul rolls out of the ring, covering his face with his jacket, as mankind escorts him to the back, while officials rush out to help. Yeah, and the biggest issue in this whole match is that that one and a half, or maybe it was 60 seconds where... That's not even part of the match. The match is great. The match is great, it's yeah. The post-match stuff that kind of... But it's one of those things, like, that moment would have been so great, and the thing is, is, like, when it finally happens, it does look great. It's just that it took a second. It's like, yeah. So, well, but what are you supposed to do? Because it's, it's not like somebody biffed a spot and you can move on. Don't redo the spot. Move on. Be intelligent about it. But this is a fireball. You can't but just it's move one on. One of those things that they had to do it because they were setting up. Yeah. A certain brother. Yes. They might be showing up. We all know. We know. We feel it. We're excited. Oh. We get a commercial for our next pay-per-view. In your house. 14. 15. 15. 15. 15. <laughs> it doesn't actually just give us a number. Yeah. It just says in your house. Yeah. Live May 11th, where the WWF superstars will show athleticism and kick some serious butt along the way. That has to be the worst 
It was a horrible commercial. Everything. Yeah. yeah. It was bad. Just where the WWF so I may just leave with mess show. up in because it's that bad. Yeah, I mean, it's not yet. <laughs> They're normally pretty decent at these little ads. This was not one that they seemed like they tried at. Damn. Maybe they don't know what they're going to do next. I'm here to show some athleticism and kick some serious butt and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum. May as well just been that. Yeah. So we go to the back. Doc Hendricks there with the Heart Foundation. And you can also hear Bear crying in pain in the ah. distance. As Doc asks why the tag champs are there. With the hitman saying, it's none of your business. And Brett continues that this is a war. He doesn't know who is less forgiving between himself and the American fans. And neither side would forgive the other if given the chance. And Hart promises to make an example of Stone Cold. He's beating twice, but it's not enough. He must end Austin's career, followed by doing the same to everyone else in the WWF. It's the only way to prove that he's still the best there is, the best there was, was. and the best there ever will be. I love that he says, uh, I beat him before. Yeah, I beat him twice before, and that's got and that's not good enough. So three times probably won't work either. It's like hell yeah, dude. You're like, so I'm just gonna have to end his career. But yeah, so yeah, it's just like yeah, you know, even though I beat him tonight, will it even be enough? So we go to our fifth match: Brett the Hitman Hart with the Hart Foundation versus Stone Cold Steve Austin to become the number one contender for the WWF Championship. And Gorilla Monsoon and officials stop the foundation in the highway, ordering the tag champs to the back, saying they are not allowed at ringside. With Owen yelling at Monsoon that he'll pay for this. We'll get you, my little pretty. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was actually hearing the Captain Planet. You'll pay for this, Captain Planet. <laughs> And Stone Cold comes out, and he has a knee brace on. Hey. I believe for the first time, at least in WWF, because I believe he did wear it one time yeah. in WCW. And the two men go right after each other, trading strikes, suplexes, and chokes. With Hart rolling out to regroup, but Austin falls out to whip the hitman into the ring steps several times and over a guardrail. Jarrah makes this incredible point, which is... Fairly obvious, but he's doing his job. He says that I think Brett can out wrestle Austin, but I don't think that Bret Hart can outfight Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it's just like, yeah, obviously this is oil and water. Like we know that Austin was a ring technician, but he's thrown that all by the wayside, and uh, he's just an ass kicker now. They make their way back into the ring where Stone Cold keeps up the attack with a second rope elbow drop for a two count. But Brett rolls out again to recover. Austin gives chase, only for Hart to grab a chair and bring it into the ring. But Stone Cold kicks it away and grabs it himself. Now the ref tries to take the chair away when the hitman would drop kick Austin from behind, causing the ref to get knocked out by the chair. Ref bump! And Brett would use the opening to attack Stone Cold's knee with a steel before placing him in a ring post figure four. Followed by using the chair some more. Even removing the brace to continue to work the knee. And I mean, Austin is 
more over than we've seen him to this point. Brett is getting booed. There's some cheers for Brett, but every time Austin does a thing, he gets a huge fucking pop. And you can even see the smirk on his face where he fucking just knows that it's on. And we go to split screen to see footage of Bearer being loaded into an ambulance, still screaming in pain. We come back to the action and Austin has turned the tide with a pair of low blows and chokes. He goes for a second rope elbow drop, only for Hart to move to regain control with a vertical suplex. Followed by applying another figure four, this time in the middle of the ring. Stone Cold is able to turn the hold over causing the hitman to grab the ropes to break the hold. Austin starts arguing with the ref, allowing Brett to attack from behind and taking the fight to the floor, where Stone Cold back body drops Hart into the crowd. And back at ringside, Austin with a not-so-rubber band slam and an apron clothesline before making their way into the ring where Stone Cold whips the hitman sternum first into a corner. Ah, not his chest. Strongest sternum in the game. Yep. Austin goes for a pile driver, but his knee buckles, allowing Brett to go back to work on the leg, trying to whip him, only for the knee to falter again. I mean, Stone Cold is putting on a clinic for selling a limb in this match. It's wild. Now Hart charges into a corner, only for Stone Cold to hot shot him across the turnbuckle. Goes for the stunner but the hitman grabs the ropes to block, followed by a mule kick low blow. And Brett sets Austin up on a turnbuckle to deliver a superplex, before looking to lock on the sharpshooter, only for Stone Cold to grab his loose knee brace to hit the hitman over the head. My God. Austin then places Brett in the sharpshooter, when the rest of the Hart Foundation would come running out, so Stone Cold releases the hold to fight them off. Austin would lock the sharpshooter back in when Bulldog would finally get past officials to hit him in the head with a chair for the disqualification. (sighs) Post-match, officials finally chase the tag champs away from the ring, but Hart grabs the ring bell and looks to use it, only for Austin to counter with a chair to the hitman's leg and locks on the sharpshooter again. And the officials try to get him to release it, while the Hart Foundation would return to help Brett to the back. And Stone Cold collects his knee brace and celebrates, as Vince says his goodbyes, and we fade to black. So I know I've been hyping up these, this yeah. little fun fact here. Uh-huh, let's hear it. I got a couple of them here for you. Bring First it, bring one, it, bring it, bring it. So the week before the show, the WWF had run a tour in Kuwait in which Vader and The Undertaker did some promotional stuff, including going on a program called Good Morning Kuwait. Oh, that's right. Where the producers told the Mastodon beforehand that the host was going to ask the dreaded question. Is wrestling real? And they instructed him to ham it up. But no one warned the host. As Vader got this face, intimidating him. Now the host would feel threatened and he would press charges, placing the Mastodon under house arrest in his hotel and not being able to make this show, meaning he missed out on a chance of 
squashing Rocky Maivia to win oh my the Intercontinental title. God. <laughs> what a travesty. Great for Rocky, but at the same time, he was un- he will he would he would have become unstoppable at a point. I don't think that that would have stopped him from becoming the Rock. No, by any means. And uh, if anything, it would have just also excelled like, him to okay. start becoming the Rock sooner. We know David Schultz took the hit. He hit the man. He took the hit. They said, "Hey, protect the business." He did it. He was known to be a dickhead. It's one of the most famous wrestling clips on the internet, and just in general. Eighty-four, pre Hulkamania, pre like true WWF Hulkamania, and uh, it's great. But not too long after that, what was the morning show where Hulk uh, chokes out the host, and nothing happened to him because he was already Hulk Hogan. But you you've probably seen the clip. And Vader didn't even put hands on this guy, based on what you said. He just scared him. What the hell is this? You're in a new world. I know. They're not ready. Mm-hmm. So you ready for my second fun fact? I don't know that I am. <laughs> so, thinking back to the last episode of Raw that we watched, yeah. they mentioned that they were going to South Africa the next week. Well, there were many issues on that foreign taping. In Johannesburg. That Vince got very upset, and he changed his entire creative team, promoting Vince Russo to a more prominent role. Yeah. So welcome to that era. Yeah. And then you think back, wait, how many DQ and countouts did we have in this show? Mm. And you go, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So are we going to go from the dusty finish to the Russo finish? The Russo effect? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of In Your House 14, Revenge of the Taker? Like, my answer will be short. Go ahead. Boring in the beginning, Mm -hmm. made up for it in the last two. I think that it's a solid show. It's almost a great show. It's a show that everything ends in a fucking DQ, which is wild because by the time the show's over, you don't even remember that everything ended in a DQ because everybody does their job so well in the ring. And to the point that I think that this might be the best, some of the best in-ring between Brett and Austin and Taker and Mankind where like when they are in the ring they're going at each other and it's hard and everybody's selling and everybody's laying it in and working extra hard and the psychology is great but it's not as an incredible of a finish as Stone Cold passing out but I think that everything before that but like, I think the rest of the match is better than the more famous match. It just doesn't have a finish. Because Austin is more realized, more comfortable, and feels like the guy you think of when you think of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yep. And uh, the animosity feels more palpable 
but it's not talked about because there's not a finish. Yeah. Because it just it just schmozzes out. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like we're all on the same page. Like, I the intensity that are in the two main events is incredible. Was just yeah incredible, and it ends up taking the show from a almost a disaster to watchable. Yeah. The undercard is underwhelming. But also now knowing that there were a couple matches that didn't happen because of unforeseen circumstances, yeah. I kind of give it a little bit of a pass. I mean, it's more good than bad because the opening match, I mean, it started off hot and then it just had that dumb ending. And then you had your sleeper matches with Jesse and I mean, if Billy I, Rock inside of tell me, Tell me this. If Brett comes out and helps Owen and Bulldog cheat to win instead of causing a disqualification. Great. I think it's a better ending. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of it, I, literally that one little change makes takes that matchup just enough that like I'm like okay because what we're doing what they're doing is just trying to make it so that it's everyone ha- it's just so going to be so ready for that Legion of Doom title win at yeah, some point. Yeah. That's what they're doing. I get it. And they have somebody that they can do that with. The Rocky thing, like, they were going to take the belt off him, but they don't want to put it on Sabio, obviously, because that would the be nation's stupid. doing their own thing. So don't want to deal with that. But Sabio is a, I think, is a good opponent for Rocky. Oh, yeah. Because he's a good hand. He's going to make a believable match. Oh, yeah. I mean, look I, at the I, shit I don't, that him and Austin did. Yeah, exactly. Jesse James and Rockabilly, that that is a pre-show match. Should have never been on here. Yep. Unfortunately, it got moved into the where it got moved because they didn't have anything else that was built up. I yeah. think it was good that it got moved in there also because it showed them that maybe we don't need to do this. Let's let's put them together. But also the booking decision to have your honky tonk man new protege guy lose. Like, if you're going to have a match that has a DQ on this show... That one. That's it one. feels like that one's the one that you yeah. should have the yeah. DQ finish DQ. on. DQ. Also, the yeah, it's one of those things like, well, where's Hunter... Plus, he doesn't get the guitar yeah. hit, so he doesn't. they don't even get their heat back. Yeah. But where's Hunter and Goldust? And it's like, well, what are those guys doing? We don't need another Hunter and Goldust right now. Yeah, neither of them would really have a thing, it's a just thing like, going. It's kind of like petered out, but we ever... You know, I love both of the guys... But they don't have uh, anything in the pipe at the moment. Yeah. As I assume they were in Johannesburg. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Mankind, Oops. Terry Funk, pile driving The Undertaker multiple times. Pulling like him over. Yeah, I was like, sorry. Wait, I, I, notes again. I, I figured out what you're saying. The pulling, pod, the pulling yeah. pile drivers. Yeah. I mean, the pulling pile driver. It's a, it's the Terry Funk pile driver to me. Like, which show are we talking about? He pulls him by the yeah, the yeah, pulling the yeah, you know. Yeah. But uh, like, you don't see Undertaker pile drive very often, and for some reason, the weird sloppy pulling pile driver. Uh, not very many people are big enough to pile driving, so yeah, for sure, and that's one of the reasons. But mankind, that's the pile driver he does to anybody, no matter their size. Mm-hmm. That's just you know part of his move set, but it doesn't get used particularly regularly, especially it, 
this point in his career. Owen and Davy Boy coming out of the bathroom. I mean, that's yeah. really great. Like, I we were just that whole angle all together yeah. there. The Austin walking behind. I was talking about he attacked us. Yeah, I, I praised them in uh, the Raw episode a couple of weeks ago for just like yeah. being correctly comedic, and here they are doing it again, where it's like it's not goofy in a like wink at the camera way. It is like much more earnest, and uh, it absolutely works. I mean, I said it in my overall review, but the intensity of our two main events. I mean, like, just it, it just felt watching those matches. These people hate each other and they just yeah. want to destroy each other. It also, doesn't... at this point, like, these guys, both of these, like, Taker and Mankind have worked with each other a bunch to this point. And it's been a little bit of time, and this is the angle that would uh, draw the most animosity and Austin and Brett have been chasing each other in circles for a while and had some great matches but I think that like I said in ring the like palpable energy and uh, animosity makes this maybe the best matches we've seen from either of these pairs of guys even though one ends pretty yeah, it's like I mean they, they both they both start up start off as a fury and they kind of end with whimpers. Yeah, yeah. But, but the fury, the, but the stays fury high. is so high. Yeah, for so long that I can I can overlook the whimper. Yeah. Anytime that there is a microphone in in front of Brett on this show, yeah, I've enjoyed it. Even if it's just that little line of who's crying now. Yeah, I mean, because who's crying a, now is really great. It's a different tone. It's a different attitude, and it's not just him and Sean cutting each other down and, you know, see who can make the other one cry yeah. first. This one is, fuck everything, fuck you guys, this is me now. The less is more. Yes. How about most disappointing? The fire uh, paper. The fire paper. The flash paper. I'll paper. say fire paper, and then I'll also say that, like, I watched the show and really, really enjoyed the show. And then, just revisiting it now, I didn't remember the amount of like DQ bullshit because in the matches that had DQ bullshit, the matches up to that point were so good that I just remembered how great they were in, until the finish or whatever. So it's like, oh, like, I'm like oh, that was some incredible and believable work between these guys and then I'm like oh yeah we did dust it up learning that Vader almost had the icy belt oh my gosh Vader uh, can't catch a break in America what's the deal what do you have the WCW well, title catch, for fucking a fucking half in, a second can't catch a break in Kuwait either no we sure can't <laughs> Fucking goddamn. I was about to shit on Kuwait, but I don't know enough about Kuwait to be doing that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd, I'd, I'd say anything <laughs> bad about any, any foreign countries. Yeah, right now. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. I know they're a small country. But why you gotta do? Why you yeah, gotta do baby? He just. He had to go up against the, the one guy that didn't know that it was all just a work 
and it ended up kind of fucking up the rest of his WWF career. Yeah, I mean, he'll go on to make some money uh, on Boy Meets World. Yeah. Which is very bizarre. What about best performer of the night? Hmm. I mean, there's four guys. And... I mean, there's four guys, but there's also six guys. I was like... Because some guys did stuff without saying any words at all. All it took was just one look. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that Owen and, Owen and Davey Boy were... They were great. They were pretty great as well. They it's were, tough. but I feel like Austin... I talked about I mean, how Austin he... has the pro. I mean, well, Brett has that yeah, one line. But I feel like Austin so has, mm-hmm. like, we've been talking about him, like, you know, if it's a PlayStation 1 loading bar, and we've been, like, loading to full Stone Cold Steve Austin, like, we're closer now than we've been, than we were even two weeks ago. And then we also had Farouk on commentary. Farouk that, was great on commentary, yeah, but... He, I, he like him. He, really? I think you guys liked him on commentary I much more than I did. I quite enjoyed it, but I wouldn't give it to him for that because Mankind and yeah, Taker I, both killed it and Austin I personally think you gotta it. give it to Austin because he sold the knee. He sold the knee like crazy. He had the smirk. He did the middle fingers. I mean, he is... I feel like he's, he's, he's basically there. Yeah. I mean, this is the biggest cheers he's gotten on... Uh, yeah. In, in the WWF... He is, he's basically home free. The world is a, almost his oyster. How about most surprising? The news about Disco Inferno. Oh, I had yeah. no clue about actually, that. Actually, I was going to say Vince Russo, but as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah. Because I didn't even know that one at uh, all. I mean, I knew Russo took over at some point. I didn't know when. Disco Inferno the is, Disco is Inferno one of the, I don't think the Inferno would have So that makes me wonder then, was Disco Inferno a Russo idea? Because that doesn't sound... No, Disco Inferno was like his gimmick for like... No, I mean bringing him over. Or attempting to bring him over. Because that just doesn't seem like the guy that I'd look at WCW and go, hmm, that's who I want. Yeah, I mean, I can't see JR or like Cornette or Jerry Lawler being like, oh, we got to bring this guy over. He dances, he fits the gimmick that they were going for. Oh, true. Him and him and Flash could have had even though yeah. it's all a, kinds of funk. Even though it's fun. a horrible gimmick, as we'll learn real quick. Yeah, I guess him and Flash makes know. sense, but and it's like, oh, well, we need to pad it out because they have a pretty thin roster, but they have people that people are starting to care about or already care about. As opposed to a bunch of, like, I don't know. It's like, even Savio Vega means something. Even if even if nobody is cheering for Savio Vega, everybody knows who he is. And he's won matches in the past, so it means something if you beat him. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Big Van Vader was the WCW World Heavyweight Champion for the past nine months, when the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, would put his career on the line at Starcade on December 27, 1993. Vader would use his power early on, beating down Nate in a corner, before dropping him on a guardrail outside the ring. Big Van Vader would miss an avalanche attack, but interference from Harley Race 
would allow Vader to maintain control with suplexes, power slams, and a Vader bomb. Flair would begin to fire up and start working the leg, ramming it against a ring post and using a chair several times, before finally locking in the figure four. But Big Van Vader was able to make the ropes to break the hold. The Nature Boy would then avoid a Vader salt and a diving headbutt from Harley, hitting a running forearm and some chops, only for Big Van Vader to go for another power move. But Flair trips up Vader into a roll-up for the pin to become the WCW World Heavyweight Champion for the second time. Nature would feud with his old rival, Ricky Steamboat, over the next few months before a new arrival to WCW would make history making waves. It's uh, so smart that Ric Flair caught him on a roll-up, caught the bigger guy on the roll-up. I mean, it writes itself, and sometimes we don't see it enough. Yep. Next week, we're going to stay in your house. Oh, my God. Going to number 15. Hey, hey. A cold day in hell. Are you telling me Glacier has joined the WWF? Is it going to be revenge? Maybe it's the Eagles. Is it Revenge of Hell on a Cold Day part? Never? What's the, uh, what was the Vader WCW, um, like the Mountain of Fear or whatever? Mm-hmm. What was it called? Uh. Sorry, guys. Sorry, I apologize. Super Bowl three. Uh, White no, Castle, yeah. of, White Castle fear. of Fear. Uh-huh. White Castle of Shitting Your Pants. Am I right? You know, Music from this week's show. Never had one. They're gross. Is Electra and Stone Cold Steve Austin won our main event. So we play Hell Frozen Over. Hey, hey. Version 2 by bum, Jim Johnston. Bum, 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 bum. I didn't know it was called Hell Frozen Over. Volume 2. I mean, is that because they had the glass break? Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. If you like this episode or any of our others, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns? You got any recipes? You have any drink ideas? We're going to Richmond, Virginia next. So if you've ever been to, been to Virginia... Give you me know, some ideas. You know what? Um, I don't know if it's still a thing, but a handful of years ago, Stone Cold Steve Austin started a brewery or beer company or had his own beer. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it in any liquor store in Oklahoma. It the man lives Texas in Texas, original. but like you would think that it would be shipped up here. Possibly. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we need some uh, get our hand on Broken but, Skull But that's beer. not Virginia, so... No, I'm just thinking about <laughs> the future. Yes, but uh, I'm always looking for ideas. Philly is uh, is always a a bitch. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to get to it, throw me some ideas. What was your favorite match on this thing? What was your least favorite? What's the the most standout? Slide into our DMs. Hit us up on the X. Talk to us. Talk to me. We know what our reasons. Rockabilly Jesse James. <laughs> Absolutely. If you have any of those things, you can hit us up on our email at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on X at WrestlingHistoX. It's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters.